Well, good morning again. As a church, we are preaching through the gospel of Matthew, and that um, will likely take a while. We're going verse by verse through the gospel of Matthew, and I'm excited to continue looking at Jesus' life and ministry and ultimately His sacrifice for us, seeing how Matthew focuses on His kingdom that has come and is coming. But we are going to take a brief break from that. This week and the following five weeks, we're going to be looking at our purpose and values as a church. The elders here have been working for the past year on creating values for Cornerstone, and we're excited and hopeful for this season for us as a body. And I want to say as we are getting into this series, I love you. And as we consider these things, I'm so very thankful for this church, for who you are and for how you have demonstrated your love for Jesus again and again and again. And I believe as we get into this, we will find that a focus on these things will help us to be a people who are purposefully living together for Christ and His glory. And so as we consider our purpose and our values we don't want to uh, make a. We don't want to do this in in some way that we're trying to make a name for ourselves. That's not the point. That's not the heart behind this. Our lives are not meant to be lived to glorify ourselves or cornerstone. The Bible tells us if we are in Christ, we died. That's what the gospel says. Luke 9, 23, Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Colossians 3, 2 and 3 says, Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That is our heart. We exist to glorify God. And our purpose as a church that you may have seen on our sign, hopefully if you attend here, you know what it is, but you will today. Our purpose as a group and body of believers is this, preaching and practicing the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's good for us to rehearse that, to consider again and again what that means for us. We've existed as a church for 15 years So many things over the years have changed. So many people have come and gone, but God has always been faithful to us. He's always been good to us. Not because we deserve that, because He is that. As we consider our purpose, preaching and practicing the gospel of Jesus Christ, what does that mean? So we're going to look at today our purpose, the next five weeks each of our values. What does that mean, preaching and practicing the gospel of Jesus Christ? As a body of believers, a group of people who have committed themselves to Christ, what does that mean? It's truly how we desire as a church to identify in Christ and to live out our identity in Christ. And so let's look at it together and ask the Lord's help and fulfilling it along with our values in the days and years ahead together. Our purpose comes from the letter to Titus. So go ahead and turn there, Titus chapter 1. We're just going to look at the first couple of verses there. 
Titus chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. Go ahead and stand and follow along as I read the first three verses. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in His Word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God, our Savior. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your goodness and Your grace. And again, Lord, as we do every week, we thank You for Your Word. Your Word is truth. We trust You. We trust what You have spoken. And we're grateful that we have it to look at. And we ask You, Lord, that as we go through this series, that You would help us. Help us to be a people who look to Your Word and see what You have said and embrace it. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Well, Paul's writing this short letter to Titus, a co-laborer in the gospel, and it is meant to encourage Titus, who's been left to care for and shepherd the churches on the island of Crete. Paul had recently been to Crete and established churches there. Verse 5 tells us more. This is why Paul's writing. He says, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So Titus is being encouraged and instructed about the church. The letter in its entirety stresses that sound doctrine goes hand in hand with the life of sanctification and the doing of good works. So really the letter is a long version of our purpose statement preaching and practicing the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we see it specifically here in verses 1 through 3, which is where our purpose statement comes from. Paul, a servant of God. Servant here literally means bondservant or slave. I'm a slave of God, Paul says. A bondservant of God. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, you're not your own. For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Paul says of himself, I'm that. I'm a bondservant of God. And elsewhere he says, of you and of me and all who are in Christ, you are a bondservant. You are a slave of God. Because we were bought with a price. You consider the things that you own. When I purchase something, I have a purpose for it. And the more costly the purchase, the more serious the purpose. I don't intend to waste it. And in the same way, the Lord, when He purchased you at the cost of His life, had a purpose for you. You're a servant. You're His servant, purposed to glorify Him. You were bought with a price So, 
Therefore, because of that, glorify God in your body. That's what I mean when I said earlier we don't exist to make a name for ourselves. We exist to glorify God. Paul, a servant of God, he goes on, an an apostle of Jesus Christ, a messenger, a proclaimer. Paul set apart uniquely by the Lord Jesus for a specific work, and in a similar way, we have been set apart as individuals and as a body. We've been chosen and called for to to a life for His glory. An apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which is this, to see others come to faith, to see them know and embrace the truth. Paul's saying, this is why I'm here. This is what I do. Now, the question is, what is truth? Paul literally says here, the truth. Some of you may be asking that very question today. What is truth? Like Pilate asked Jesus before he was condemned to die, what is truth? And more specifically, as it relates to this text, what is the truth? I think it's helpful to look at three texts that tell us what the truth is. I'll read those. First, John 14, verse 6, which many of you may have memorized. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So first we see that Jesus himself, the person, is the truth. If we're to talk about or have knowledge of or embrace the truth, we're to do that of Jesus, the Son of God. But that's not all that we see in Scripture. Jesus Himself, when He was praying for us, those who would come to know Him and believe in Him, prays in John 17, 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So secondly, we see that Jesus says that God's word is truth. The Scriptures are true and are true the truth. And so we see that Paul's saying in Titus 1, for the sake of the faith of God's elect, their knowledge of Jesus and of God's Word. But third, we see in 2 Corinthians 4, 2 and 3, Paul writes, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's Word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In other words, what is this open statement of truth? Paul is commending the gospel. Now, these three definitions, Jesus, the person of Jesus, God's Word, and the gospel being the truth, do not contradict each other. They're the same. Jesus is the Word of God made flesh. He is the person of the gospel we proclaim. 
The gospel is the message of Jesus who is the Word made flesh. So when we speak of the truth, we speak of Christ and the message about Christ who is the Word made flesh. He goes on lastly in verse 1, which accords with godliness or works itself out in practice. This is where our purpose statement comes from. As a church, our purpose is preaching and practicing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Preaching the gospel, preaching the truth, and practicing the truth. Preaching which accords with godliness. Preaching that works itself out in practice. Embracing the truth and living the truth. Preaching and practicing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so let's look at each point there and how we as a body are called to live that out. Preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is a message It means good news. The word means good news. So let's be be clear and honest here. We are not faithfully believing the gospel if we're not proclaiming the gospel. Because it's a message. A message to be heralded, proclaimed, preached. So I don't really believe it is good news if I don't treat it as good or as news. When we talk about preaching the gospel, we mean that corporately. Our purpose is that we would all preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the gospel does two things when it is preached. It brings faith and it bolsters faith. The gospel brings faith and it bolsters faith. Paul says it is for the sake of the faith of God's elect. For some, that means the elect chosen of God who have not yet believed. Those who have been chosen by God and not yet heard or believed. But they will. At some point, They will hear the word, the preaching of the gospel, and will repent and submit to Jesus as Lord and Savior of their life. The preaching of the gospel brings faith. That's what Paul proclaims. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation for those who believe. But it also bolsters faith for those in Christ, the truth The gospel bolsters or strengthens faith. That's what Jesus is praying in John 17, 17. Sanctify them, grow them, mature them. Grow them up in the truth. Your word is truth. So preaching the gospel, our purpose brings faith and bolsters faith. I love Paul's words to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15. I hope to come to you soon. But I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. That's what we are. That's what the Scriptures define us to be as the body of Christ, a pillar and buttress of the truth. 
As a church, whether it's written on a sign or not, we exist to bring and bolster truth, to preach truth, to support the truth, to hold up the truth, to wave truth as a banner. And the truth is the gospel. Jesus, the Word made flesh, And so we exist to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And secondly, our purpose is practicing the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is a message. If it is good news, then how do we practice a message? The answer is we live in accordance to it or in the light of it. Paul writes to the Philippians in chapter 1, verse 27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. A life worthy of the gospel of Christ. He writes to the Ephesians in chapter 4, verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. How do we practice it or let our manner of life be worthy of it? He goes on in Ephesians 4, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. This call of Paul's there, this fleshing out of what it means to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called or the gospel that we declare, is in accord with the call of discipleship that the Lord gives to us in Luke 9. Deny yourself Take up your cross daily and follow me. Practicing the gospel of Jesus Christ is following the call of discipleship. It's walking in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. It's self-denial. Deny yourself. Paul says with all humility. Not looking to yourself as greater than, but looking to Christ as all. Deny yourself. It's a display of Jesus from Philippians 2, who counted himself nothing. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Second, gentleness and patience. That's cross-bearing. Taking up our cross daily. It's trusting the Lord when things are difficult. Listen, all of us can acknowledge We can look patient and gentle when those things are not tested. Everyone can do that. You don't don't have to be a follower of Jesus to look patient and gentle when patience and gentleness are not being tested. But this is cross-bearing. This is taking up our cross, being patient and gentle when they are being tested. 
When we're truly bearing our cross, are we practicing the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are we gentle and patient like He is, like the message we proclaim speaks of? He is patient and gentle. The psalmist writes, you've given me the shield of your salvation, and your right hand supported me, and your gentleness made me great. Galatians 5, and 23 tells us that a fruit of the Spirit includes patience and gentleness. And third, he says, love and compassion for, other, for others. That's following Christ. They'll know you're my disciple by how you do that. If I've loved you, love one another. Bearing with one another in love, Paul says. As individuals and as a body, we are nothing if we're not loving. You remember Paul's words, just a resounding gong if you don't have love. You're nothing if you don't have love. We ought to practice these things. It's how we practice the gospel. I practice the gospel. We practice the gospel as we seek to live the life it has granted to us, displaying the life and love of a good and gracious Savior. We practice the gospel as we seek to live the life it has granted to us displaying the life and love of a good and gracious Savior. And each of these things is not meant simply individually, but corporately. We seek to do these things together. God made us a body together. I preach, but we all ought to preach in the body, in the church, to one another. Ephesians chapter 4 again, beginning with verse 11. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, but by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That is a corporate text. We need each other, and we are not done growing. Christ is a long way off in our growth. That's our aim, to mature manhood, which is what? the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We will get there when we see Him, and we're not there yet. We grow, and to grow, we need one another. We need the gospel being spoken and lifted up and loving one another to one another. They body text. But also, this is a call to the world, for us toward the world, for the sake of the faith of God's elect, Paul says. 
He writes to the Romans in chapter 10, beginning with verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they've not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Preaching, not just to one another, but to the world for the sake of the faith of the elect, preaching the gospel. Likewise, we ought to practice. We ought to live and flesh out the truth to one another and to the world. You consider this as as you serve in the body of Christ week in and week out. A greeter, whatever capacity you serve in, there's an opportunity for gospel preaching and gospel practicing. A greeter has opportunity to build up the body through speaking the truth in love, but also practicing hospitality and compassion and love for visitors and those who come each week. A kids worker, all the kids workers who are hidden in these back rooms taking care of our children. A kids worker has the opportunity to tell someone who literally has childlike faith about Jesus. You can build up their parents. You can practice the gospel as you give rest to parents. Listen, I I say this a lot as a commercial for you to serve in children's ministry, but listen. Listen. You practice the gospel when you change the diaper of someone else's kid. You practice the gospel. It's a display of the gospel. How? Because, like it or not, you and I were just as disgusting and vile, and the Lord cleaned us up. It's a display. It's an act of serving that is a display whether you're thinking that at the time or not. It's gospel. It's serving. We can practice in the church, but we also ought to live in a manner worthy of the gospel before the world. Titus 1, verse 2, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in His Word through the preaching with which I've been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. We do all of this in hope, preaching and practicing the gospel of Jesus Christ. We do this in hope. We hope in God. Eternal life is a promise made by God, and Paul says he never lies. He never lies. And therefore we have hope. Our purpose for God's glory, because of God's grace, is something that is meant for us to embrace with humility and joy, not as a burden, but life lived for Jesus together, preaching and practicing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Over the next five weeks, we're going to be looking at this more specifically at our values, what we as a body value, who we desire to be, how we desire to live these things out as a local body of believers 
I want to let you know what those are to give you a preview. But I also encourage you to pray. Pray to this end. Pray that together we would be a people who joyfully desire to preach and practice the gospel of Jesus Christ and desire to display Him together. Here's what we're looking at as we move ahead. Five values that we have worked through as elders presenting to you in these weeks. First is this, gospel centrality. As a church, we center our lives around our King and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is the Creator, Sustainer, and Lord over all creation. In our worship gatherings, we're committed to gospel-centered preaching, to singing and praise that reflects our delight in Christ, and to regular participation in the Lord's Supper as an active reminder and proclamation of our belief in the good news of Jesus. Both corporately and as individuals, we delight in the Word of God and strive towards complete surrender to Jesus in every area of our lives. Second, gospel intentionality. As followers of Christ, we are charged with a clear and distinct purpose in 1 Peter 2.9, to proclaim the excellencies of Christ. In light of this, we seek to be purposeful in living our lives in such a way that brings God honor in all that we say and do, whether in our homes, at our places of work, or amongst our neighbors. As we seek the help of the Holy Spirit to obey and live out the commands of God found in the Scriptures and grow in sound doctrine, we are intentionally inviting others to follow us as we follow Christ together. Third, Jesus told his disciples in John 13, 35, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. As people deeply loved by God and adopted into his family, we commit ourselves to engaging with one another with purposeful love that reflects the costly, sacrificial love that God showed us when Jesus died for our sins. We do, we do so by joyfully serving one another, sharing our resources with one another as needs arise, actively using our spiritual gifts for the building up of the body, showing hospitality to one another as well as those outside the church, and ultimately choosing to have the same humility of mind as Christ as described in Philippians 2, 5 through 8, considering others better than ourselves. The so third is gospel community. Fourth, Revelation 7, 9 tells us that God is saving people from every tribe, tongue, and people group. Therefore, the gospel of Jesus Christ is truly good news for every person on earth. Knowing that God has sovereignly built Cornerstone in the community of Westerville, Ohio, our desire is that we would grow to reflect the racial, ethnic, socioeconomic, and generational diversity of our city. We therefore commit to actively pursuing, engaging, and welcoming all people with the hope that our church body would reflect the beauty of this diversity. So number four is gospel diversity. Fifth, gospel mission. Because we believe the gospel is good news for all people, we are committed to supporting and sending missionaries around the globe. We do this so that unengaged people groups may get the opportunity to hear of the hope that we have in Christ and to experience the love of His people firsthand. 
Locally, we will seek to have a reputation of extraordinary love with the goal of inviting others to taste and see that the Lord is good. We do this by actively pursuing relationships with those that don't yet personally know Christ, believing that God uses the members of his church as a means by which he awakens people to the gospel. May the Lord help us and strengthen us to that end. As we consider together our purpose, preaching and practicing the gospel, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. A means of preaching and practicing the gospel of Jesus Christ is communion. We proclaim his death until he comes, Paul tells us. Each and every time you take the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim his death until he comes. And we practice. We remember and display his body which was broken and his blood which was shed even as we remember the gospel message. So let's prepare our hearts to commune and worship together as we sing and partake. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your goodness and your grace. We are unworthy servants seeking to honor you in how we respond to what you've written to us. And so we ask for your help in that. We're broken people. We fail you regularly. We do not ascribe to the Lord the glory due your name. And yet, you provided for our weaknesses and our failures. Jesus, you came and you lived as we cannot live. You lived a perfect life life, spotless, clean, pure, truly holy before God. And you surrendered your life on the cross. You died for sins that you never committed. You were treated on the cross as if you had lived the way that we live every day of our lives. You suffered and died for our sins. Your body was broken and your blood was poured out so that we could be forgiven and therefore we would be treated as if we live the way that you lived. Holy, pure, and righteous. We are not worthy of your grace. But we praise you and we thank you and we want to remember through taking the bread and the cup that it is all because of you. It's nothing that we did. It's nothing we could do. You chose us. You set us apart. You purified us. You made a way. And we thank you and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen.